Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 10. We have, we have uh, finally, some might say, come to the end of this chapter. It's been a, a, ro- a road, quite a number of weeks in this chapter. But I hope you've understood and seen why we paused here because of how critical this particular chapter is uh, to the entire narrative of the book of Acts, but also in the life of Christianity in general. Um, This chapter really defines what Christianity will look like, this rising empire that we've been following from chapter 1, and this chapter defines the, the people that are in it. And so it will be, we will be recapitulated again in chapter 11. So the entire events of chapter 10 will be recapitulated again in chapter 11, but we will deal with that in next week. Um, let me read for you verse 44 to verse 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Uh, Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. This is God's word. The concept of citizenship is a concept that I think we're all familiar with. In the concept of citizenship, uh, it's when someone is delineated and marked as belonging to a certain country, a certain uh, principality, a nation. And and there are two particular elements uh, for our purposes this morning that are worth noting about the concept of citizenship. First is, the person who determines whether or not you're a citizen is the ruling principality, the the nation, the government, the the ruling authority. That's the people that determine whether or not you are a nation. They register you in the citizenship registry and say you were born at this time, you are part of our nation. They're the one who set the rules of who can become a citizen and so forth. And the second thing that is important as well is that there is then something given to you that marks your citizenship so that the other members of this entity, this nation, this empire will know that you are in fact a citizen. 
And that is important that citizens know that this person is a citizen because we need to know who has which benefits and rights and so forth. When it comes to voting time or when it comes to certain things happening during the year in a, in a particular way, we need to know who exactly is a citizen for particular reasons. Well, in the text in front of us today, really the whole of chapter 10, but particularly in the text in front of us today, we see the Holy Spirit filling the Gentiles, coming on the Gentiles for the purpose of confirming to the other citizens of the new covenant community that these Gentiles are indeed citizens. Make sense? Let me say that in a different way. The Holy, St- the Holy Spirit in this text can be, see- can be seen as headquarters coming down and saying to Peter and the men that are with him that these people are equal citizens in this new kingdom with you. That's the function of what is happening here. We have seen throughout this chapter that while the Christian Jews at this point might have had a certain religious tolerance to the Gentiles, they certainly did not expect them to be full citizens of the Messiah's kingdom. The assumption was that Gentiles would would have had to have been circumcised and that they would have had to become completely Jewish before they can be accepted as full members of the new covenant. But now, in the text in front of us, headquarters comes down in front of Peter and his Jewish companions to confirm to them that these men, exactly as they are, without any alteration, are full citizens in the same way that Peter and his companions are full citizens. There are three things that happen in this text, and so they divide the text for us neatly. First, there is the interruption by the Spirit in verse 44. Second, there is the surprise of the circumcised group in verse 45 and verse 46. And thirdly, There is a confirmation of the citizenship of the Gentiles through water baptism in verse 47 and 48. So if you're taking notes, you can shorthand it this way. You can say the spirit interrupts, the crowd erupts, and Peter baptizes. That's for you if if you're writing notes. Let's look at the first point. The spirit interrupts Peter. While Peter was still saying these things, what are these things that Peter's been saying? Well, we saw last week that Peter, at at the beckoning of Cornelius and his friends, his Gentile friends, he started preaching this message, this gospel of peace. He started proclaiming that Christ Jesus is the one who was appointed by God to bring forgiveness of sins to anyone who would believe in him. And while Peter is still explaining this message of peace, explaining that Christ is the Lord of all, the Holy Spirit interrupts him and interjects his preaching. And how does the Holy Spirit interrupt him? Well, we see here, while he's still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. Why is the Holy Spirit falling on these people? What is going on here? Well, we've already seen the Holy Spirit falling on people in the book of Acts, have we not? We've already seen this as we've been walking through this book for the many months that we have. We saw in 
this first happening in chapter 2, where the Spirit fell on that group of 120. And you remember how, we, how the Spirit fell on them? He fell on, the, fell on them as tongues of fire, and they spoke in different languages. They started speaking in languages that they would never know. And we know that it was different languages because the people that were around that come from all these different areas started gathering around them and saying, hey, we hear these people in a language that, that we, that, that from where we come from. Different people, we, and we saw the list, Murds, Persians, and, and all these different people from all over the Roman world that were saying they're hearing what is being said. And we noted there that the, that the Holy Spirit falling down visibly as tongues of, of fire is confirming that the gospel is now for the nations. It is a reversal. We noted there in Acts chapter 2 that it was a reversal of the Tower of Babel where God scattered people and gave them different languages. Now God is coming down and uniting people in their different languages. And then we see it, the sign again. We don't see it again. The only other time we see it is when the Samaritans believe in chapter 8. Do you remember that? When after Philip had, had preached, had gone after the persecution that had happened, Philip got uh, to Samaritan. He preached. People were saved. The Lord was working. The Spirit fell even as the apostles came to confirm the work. And what we noted there was that when the Holy Spirit was falling down on the Samaritans, He was confirming all the Old Testament promises that were given to the Samaritans as part of God's people. And so it is the very same thing that we're seeing happen here in chapter 10. There are two things to note about the Holy Spirit's descent for the very first time on the Gentiles. First, it was exactly the same as the Jewish Pentecost in chapter 2. How do we know this? We see this in verse 46. Right? In verse 46 they say, For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter says, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The idea is that this whatever is happening here is exactly what happened to Peter and these Jews back in chapter 2. That is an important part of this. And second, the second thing you, is, that, is this, is that the, the Holy Spirit falling on someone means that that person is clean enough for God to dwell in. The Holy Spirit descending on someone means that the the Holy Spirit is now determined that this person is a vessel clean enough for him to dwell in. This action of the Holy Spirit uh, underscores the same thing that we've been seeing throughout chapter 10. That God is now declaring believing Gentiles as clean as believing Jews. The Spirit first used a metaphor of unclean and clean food coming down and he declared that that food is clean and now the Holy Spirit himself is descending on Gentiles saying that he can dwell with them. And for us to understand the meaning of this, we really need to dig, uh, dig a bit more in this clean, unclean language and all of and what all of that means. We've already spoken about it. But it is worth our time to look at this again, to understand the significance of the Spirit falling on Gentiles in front of Jews. 
You see, all the sacrificial laws served the purpose of showing how filthy humanity is in sin when compared to the holiness and majesty of God. That's what the sacrificial laws were pointing to. The, the death, the multiple death of lambs and birds, the multiple washings that were a constant feature of Israelite life, the constant discussion of whether somebody is clean or unclean, the separation of, of lepers and the people, being told, don't touch a dead body. If you touch a dead body, you have to do all these washings. All of these things that were so tedious were all communicating to the Jewish mind that sin is detestable and that God dwells in complete and utter purity. And God has nothing to do with the sin that we have. All of these washings, all of these, these laws about food being clean, unclean, all of that was to say there's something wrong with you because God is holy and can have any, nothing to do with you. And as it relates to the temple where people would come to worship, the, the rituals, the washings, and the restrictions on who can get into the temple and when can they get into the temple, all of that spoke of how far man is from accessing God because of the prevalence of sin. There are so many things that need to be done for somebody to be able to go into the temple. And even then, you were dictated to, you can only come at this time and no more. Even the high priest could come into the, to the holiest place, the inner, the inner part of the temple. He can only go in there once a year, and he goes in there after doing, making much atonement for his own sin. All of this is, con is communicating that to approach the majesty and holiness of God, much has to happen to you because there's a problem. There's something residing in you that is wrong. But you see, here's the thing that's happening here in this text and in chapter 8 and in chapter 2 is that God comes down and dwells not in the temple but in men. For the Jews, of course, they expected God to dwell in them because they are the chosen race. But it is quite a thing for God to dwell in Gentiles who just for breakfast this morning might have had an octopus. It is quite a thing for God to come down and dwell in bodies that are uncircumcised. That might even have tattoos. What changed? How can God now come down and dwell in a sinful Jew and dwell in a sinful Gentile? What changed? It's the message that Peter has just preached. The message that was preached. You see, these men, these, these men, these, uh, the, the Cornelius' group, these Gentiles, they were devout people who loved Israel's God, and now God gave them the gift of regeneration as they believe in the message that Peter is preaching. And as they believed, they are cleansed from all of their sin, and they are deemed a temple fit for God to dwell in. I want to press this further. Separation between God and man is not due to anything except the filth of a man's sin. A lying, deceptive, sensual, self-righteous, egotistic, cheating, 
boastful humanity can never be fit for the holiness of God to come near it. In fact, God is often called the consuming fire in the Scriptures because that's exactly what happens when God comes into contact with humanity in that state. He consumes them. There is no niceties, no handshaking. If God comes into contact with sinful, sensual, egotistic humanity, He consumes it, He destroys it. God is so holy. He is this righteous. He is above in holiness. There's just nothing like Him. And when compared to Him, everything that is us is filth. Our lies, our meditations, our actions, the things that we say, even when we say we've made a mistake, all of that communicates that there's something wrong deeply in us. I want to explain this by way of analogy. And this is going to be a bit graphic, but I want you to work with me here. If somebody came to you, let's say you go to a five-star restaurant, and then the chef serves you a plate of your favorite meal done in an exquisite five-star Michelin way. For me, that plate would be Amasi. But, you know, for you, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, that would be Amasi, okay? Um, but let's say for you, it's, it's a, place of, you know, a plate of exquisite al dente pasta, right? And of course, everything on this plate looks wonderful. Everything around this plate is, is beautiful. It's, it's, it's done. Everything, the fixings, it's, it's amazing. It could win, you know, the top chef uh, competitions. But just before the chef brought the plate to you, you saw him take, go into his nose with his finger, take a booger out of his mouth, and put it right underneath, right there, under, right there underneath at the bottom of this wonderful, exquisite meal. You saw him do this very clearly. You're not, you're not pre prejudiced against this, this particular chef. You saw this happen. And then he presents it to you like that in this, in this, in this, uh, this wonderful way. Would you eat it? But it's exquisite. It's done well. It's in a five-star. Would you still eat it? You would not. The repulsion that you felt when you saw that booger go into that plate is enough to take away your entire appetite. And now you don't trust anything in this restaurant. Right? Reviews are one star. Okay? Well, that's the same idea. It's a paltry comparison, but it's a similar idea with regards to God dwelling in people. This is the reason why the Bible says our works, are like our works are like filthy rags. Our works are like filthy rags because nothing can be done with them. There's so much dirt, so much filth in them, going all the way from the top to the bottom of us, that there's nothing even worth, that even the arm of God, even the fingertip of God cannot dwell in a human being in that state. God can't even look at, the, at a person like that, let alone dwell in them. That repulsion because of our sin is serious. But now, the events of this text is bigger and more important. That once the blood of Jesus Christ comes, 
There is no spot in a human being such that God can come in. Once the blood of Jesus Christ does its work in a man, there is no corner, no crevice, no any place that is unclean, filthy, such that God looks at that place and immediately comes in and dwells. Let's come back now to our analogy of that plate in the five-star restaurant. You're sitting there, the chef has just served you this meal. You can't eat this meal. But now they call in a bigger chef, the, 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 the top chef. He comes in and he, takes, he puts this guy, this guy away. He takes the plate. You see him. He takes the plate. He washes it entirely clean with the best cleaning things. He remakes the entire pot in a, in a spicks and span kitchen, very clean, and he remakes it, and he makes it more, it, ma- it looks better, it's more scrumptious, it smells even better than before, and you simply, as soon as he puts it down, you simply can't do anything but dig in. That's Chef Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ does. That's what happens when a man or a woman is born again. When a man or a woman trusts in Jesus Christ, Christ comes in and remakes their entire being, completely makes you anew. The scripture says, the old has gone, behold, the new has come. And now there is no spot, you are so spotless, this human being is so spotless, that the great God of heaven and earth comes in and dwells and makes his home with that person. The point here for Peter and the men that Peter are with is that these people, because they receive the message that Peter has just spoken, they are clean enough for God to dwell in them. Will these people sin after this? Yes, they will. They still have indwelling sin. But as far as cleanliness before God is, they are entirely spotless as the blood of Christ is undefeated in its work of making even the worst among us clean. And that's important for you as well here this morning. That's important for you. First, it's important for you if you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to understand what the Bible says about you. The Bible says you're filthy. You've got sin top to bottom. The Bible says God is not following you around, smiling at you perpetually. In John 3 verse 36 it says, The wrath of God remains on your shoulders. Romans 1 says God is giving you over more and more in His wrath to more and more filth and more and more sin. He's giving you over. You need to understand that the situation is dire no matter how well dressed up it is, no matter how advanced it sounds, no matter how clever it is, however well it is presented, your situation, your your being is in trouble because God wants nothing to do with you. Because of your sin. But here's the good news. Is that God has made peace through the one that he has appointed. Such that he can indwell men and women. Such that a person like you, with all the lies that you've committed, that you've spoken this past month. With all the sin that you have harbored in your heart this past year. 
with the thoughts on your, all the evil that is in your heart, with all of that, Christ has a blood that is so powerful that He can cleanse you such that God forgets as far as the east is from the west and He runs, He jumps in and He dwells within you and makes His home with you. That is important for you to know. The only way to be at peace with God, indeed, the only way to be clean is if you believe the message that Peter preached, which is a message that says forgiveness of sins is found only through the one that God has appointed, Jesus Christ. But it is important for you too, believer, this morning. It is important. Are you indwelt by the Holy Spirit, believer? If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that you are. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, that has many implications for you. If you truly believe in Christ, such that the Spirit of God has dwelt in you, that says a lot about what you are and who you are, doesn't it? If anything, it says this, you are clean. Are you with me? You have been washed completely. Your current sins are a temporary battle between the true you and the you that is being destroyed and will be finally destroyed when the Lord Jesus resurrects you such that you see yourself exactly as you are. You are entirely and completely brand new, fit for the holiest one to dwell in. In temple language, you are cleaner than the holiest of the holies. Cleaner than any corner of the temple. Why? Because the blood of Christ has cleansed you. There is no cleanliness that is missing from you. Hear me, Christian. There is no cleanliness that is missing from you. If there was a corner in you that was truly dirty and truly despicable, do you honestly think the Holy Spirit would have indwelt you? If there was any corner in you that was despicable, that, 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 that was the stronghold of sin, that, that, that determined that you are a sinful being, if there was any corner in you, the Holy Spirit would have nothing to do with you. But because He has indwelt you, you know that you are clean, clean enough because of the righteousness of Christ, because of the holiness of Christ, because of the blood of Christ, because of the life of Christ, because you hold on to Him, God looks at you and sees a temple, the best temple for Him to dwell in. John 14 verse 23 says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And listen to this. And my Father will love him, and we, me and my Father, will come to Him and make our home with Him. Think about that for a moment. The great God of eternity has cleansed you through the blood of His Son so that He can come with His Son and the Spirit to make a residence, a home. You know what a home is? It's a place where you're in your PJs and relaxed. A place where, you're, where you come and rest. That's what it is. He has made his home with you. He now calls you a place for him to dwell in if you have believed in Christ Jesus. If anything, this should cause you to shout amen. 
to say praise God because I am no longer what I was in the past. I am now a brand new creature in Christ and God dwells in me. And I pray and trust and hope that you hear that as good news again, dear Christian. I know you, you, you fight with your sin because of the, the man that's still there. You're fighting with your sin. Oftentimes, you, you, you feel like giving up. Sometimes you think, nah, I can't be a Christian because I'm struggling with so many sins. But you have to realize the truth about you. That if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God does not look at you and see spots such that He will leave. But because of the blood of Christ, the whole house has been made clean. We're just now dealing with the bees. We're just busy dealing with with, with pests that are coming in that don't belong here. That's what we're dealing with. You're a temple that is holy, that is clean, washed, spicks and span. We're just dealing with foreign objects that keep coming in that we have to keep chasing out up until the time the Lord Jesus resurrects you and you see the temple for truly what it is. You must rejoice, dear saints. This is good news after all. You must rejoice that, that the falling of the Holy Spirit even on the Gentiles means that we have been made clean. That's the first point. Let's go to our second point now, to the shock and awe of the men who are with Peter. Look at verse 45. The Holy Spirit has just fallen on them. Now listen to what the believers who came from Peter with Peter. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, why are they amazed? They're amazed because the Gentiles are supposed to be this unclean mass of humanity. But here now, God is coming and dwelling in them. That's why they're amazed. Verse 46, For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. They are recognizing that the Spirit of God has come into these people in the same way that He has come in to us. This here shows the point of this entire text. This is the, entire te- the point of this entire text. In fact, even the point of chapter 11. We're going to see it next week. It's a recapitulation. That's the main point. The main point is that the Jewish church is now seeing and affirming that the Gentiles are equal citizens with them. That the Gentiles have the same spirit that they do. Now, I, there isn't much personal application here for us, just a private applications for different individuals. It's more so because the text is for the church, the application is really around the church. It's for us as a collective. So let me say a few things. And, and I think this first thing is extremely important. It's very important that we understand this principle. That we, the church, Do not save people. God saves people. You with me? We do not, the church of Jesus Christ does not save anyone. God is the one who saves people. The church, her job is to recognize the people that God has saved and then count them as a part of the body. You understand the distinction? Just like citizens of a nation do not actually determine someone to be a citizen of that nation, 
It is the Home Affairs Department, the ruler of the nation, that determines whether or not you're a citizen. In the same way, the church is not an arbiter of who is saved and who is not saved. But rather, what we do is recognized. Recognize through the truth that God has given to the church, the people that God is saving. We see certain things and we say, oh, God has clearly saved you. God is saving this person. God is saving that person. There seems to be a seal of the Holy Spirit in you. You seem to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we have confidence in calling you a member of the body. So this is why, for example, in our discipleship process, we prefer to take our time and get to know a person before we can affirm them as a church member. Why do we do that? Because our job is not to make you agree to make you agree to a few lines of doctrine. Our job is to observe you in life and attempt to discern whether or not the Holy Spirit has come down on you or not. That's our job as a church, is just to discern. We 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 preach the message like Peter preaches. We preach the message and we pray that God would take the message and make it effectual in people's lives. And then we take time to discern if the person truly has the Holy Spirit. That's why we want to disciple you over time. We want to see your life. Yes, we're hearing that you're saying that you're a believer in Jesus. But is there any evidence that the Holy Spirit indwells you? In the text in front of us, they knew instantly that the Holy Spirit had gone into them because, like we're told in verse 46, they spoke in other tongues. That's how they knew instantly. They knew instantly. These people have been saved. These people belong to God because they spoke in other tongues. There was that evidence of the Spirit falling on them. But we know from the rest of the New Testament that speaking in other tongues, other languages, is not a sign where to look for since it, was perform- it, since it performed a particular function in this particular era. We've already noted this in, in past sermons on this subject uh, in the book of Acts, that the tongues were for a time when the gospel is to confirm that it is going out to the nations. In other words, tongues were to confirm that the gospel is not just for the Jews. It is also going out to the nations. That is why there were specific human languages that were discernible. They were not gibberish. So what are signs then that we can look for to see if someone is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? How can we as a church attempt to discern like these men are discerning? These men are discerning and seeing this person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, how can we discern if someone is indwelt? is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, first, Romans chapter 10 tells us that a person that confesses Jesus Christ is the Lord does so by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if you're looking to discern if somebody is truly in the new covenant, the first thing, that at least the first thing that's in the door is that the person confesses Christ as Lord. This is what Paul says. That if somebody does not confess Christ as king, master, ruler over their lives and over the whole earth, there's suspicion. In fact, we can actually say, Paul says in Romans 10, we can actually say that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? But we also know 
from Matthew chapter 7, 21, that many say, Lord, Lord, and then the Lord Jesus says, I've never known you. Do you know that passage? Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And what will Jesus respond? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we know that while somebody proclaiming Christ as Lord is a sign that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's not all that we are to look for. Because Matthew chapter 7 exists and many other passages, many other passages show us people calling Jesus Lord, but they are not truly in the new covenant. So, what, so then what do we do? Well, then in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord actually tells us how we are to see them. He's talking specifically about false prophets there, but this can be extended in general. He speaks and says this, you will know them by their fruit. He says, you will know them by their lives. What comes out of them? How will we know that this per- these people are true? Well, you will know them by their lives. You can hear them say Jesus is Lord, but their life speaks louder and clearer. Jesus uses this analogy. He says, can a, a, can a fig tree produce thorns? And can a thorn tree, thorn tree produce grapes? In the same way, this, we can use our logic here from this morning, if the Holy Spirit has come into someone, then there is going to be a change. There's going to be a change of fruit. There's going to be a lifestyle, a hunger, a different change over, over time that shows that this person truly has been born of the Spirit. You cannot be saying that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit but you love sin, hate Christ, hate the church, hate the Word. You have no time for God. You just love sin. You just want to keep pursuing sin. This weekend, you're at this party. Next weekend, you're at that party. During the week, you're watching all the filth and there's nothing happening in you that says this is not right. See, Jesus told us, you will know them by their fruit. If the Holy Spirit has come into someone and made them clean, there's going to be some kind of change. There's going to be a battle, of course, and it's different for different people, but there has to be something. Otherwise, we we, we cannot trust it because those are the people that Jesus says later on, I never knew you. He explains that we'll see it in their lifestyle. So that's what we use. So the church here is discerning that the Jews here, Peter and the Jews, are discerning that these people are members of the church, are members of the new covenant because of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. For us as well, we discern using lifestyle. And third, Peter's response. Look at Peter's response. Let's pick it up at the end of verse 46. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Peter turns his attention. So Peter has been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit interrupts him, falls on the Gentiles. They start speaking in other languages. And then Peter now turns his attention away from the Gentiles. And he looks at this circumstance. 
Jewish Christian party that he came with, and he says, Now, is anyone from among you willing to say these people should not be baptized? Is there anyone here now from, from you guys who've come with me, when you're looking at this, do you have, anybody have an, an argument, a reason, for why these people should not be given water baptism? In other words, if God has confirmed that these people are His, is there anybody here who dares say that the church cannot perform on them the external sign of belonging to God? That's what this is. And there are a few, few principles for us to glean from this. First, we baptize people after seeing some evidence of faith, not prior. Okay, I wore my Baptist jacket today. Okay. We baptize people after seeing some evidence of faith, not prior. Do you see what just happened in front of us? Peter and the Jews, the Jewish Christians have just seen the Spirit fall down, and there's evidence that they are in the New Covenant. So then Peter says, let's give them the external sign of the, of the covenant. That is why Baptists of all have said that we baptize after we see some evidence of faith and not prior. This is why we do not baptize babies. This is why we are not quick to baptize anybody whose proclamation of faith is questionable. Understand? If someone's questionable, and you remember, we saw this. We saw a mistake happen in chapter 8, didn't we? We saw Philip baptized who? Simon the magician. Do you remember that? And then Peter comes and says, this man, you are still steeped in sin. You're still stuck. You're still, in your, you're still under the gall. You're still, the, the, the phrase that he uses is that you are in the bond. You're in the chains of iniquity. So if you ask Philip, he probably would not have wanted to baptize him. Of course, it was a different time, etc. We're not going to guilt Philip. But we, we have to acknowledge that was a mistake. He shouldn't have baptized him because he was only there for the miracles like we saw. So for us as well, we, we, we have to see something. You can't just come up today and say, I want to be baptized. And then, great, I can't stop you. Where's the water? Let's put you in. We can't do that. That is... That is, that, is, that is not us being helpful. It would be a dereliction of duty on my part to do that because it would mean that I, I, I've, not, I've not seen you. I've not known anything of you. I've just taken you at your word. We need to see something, some evidence that the Holy Spirit has indwelt you. I'm not arguing, by the way, that this text is giving us these principles in long form. I think... The principles I'm telling you come from other texts as well. But I'm just saying we're seeing this happening here in this text in front of us, and it's a good time to discuss it. That's the first thing that's worth noting. The second thing from this text is that water baptism replaces Jewish circumcision. Peter does not call for anyone to be circumcised after the Spirit comes down on them. Instead, he says the only thing missing in terms of these people's confirmation that they belong to the Lord, is that they be baptized. So, water baptism replaces circumcision. And it's beautiful because in the New Covenant, everyone can get baptized, male or female. Anyone, everyone, it is a, it is a, it is a, a spiritual covenant. Much more, the Old Covenant was also spiritual, 
But the new covenant is truly much more spiritual. It is superior to the old covenant that was based on the flesh, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And the third thing, and perhaps most importantly, uh, as we come to a close here, is this. Confirmation into the visible body of Christ is necessary after salvation. Confirmation into the visible body of Christ is necessary after salvation. When you believe that you have been indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, you have to be identified as a member of the new covenant. You have to be. You can't you can't say, I'm a Christian alone. I've identified myself as a Christian. You must be confirmed in the visible body of Christ that you are indeed a member of the new covenant. That is not to be done by you. It is to be done by the church. How do I get that from this? Well, I get that from many other passages. But from this, think of it this way. Why did the Holy Spirit take us on this entire journey of chapter 10 if church membership did not matter? Think about it for a moment. If God wanted to call Gentiles clean, why must he force Peter to also acknowledge that the Gentiles are clean? Why doesn't God just say, okay, you Jews, you, you, you Peter and you guys, you're doing your thing here. Let me just save the Gentiles this side. Let me save Cornelius. Let me save other Gentiles and just le- le- let it be. Why must Peter be brought to this understanding that Gentiles are apart and such that the Peter and the apostles can recognize that these people are part of the new covenant and confirm them as people being in Christ. The only reason that God does that is because church membership matters. Because the church as an institution established by Jesus Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles. There is a lot of people who say, I love, I like, I love God, but I'm not interested in, in, in organized religion. Have you heard that? Not interested in institutionalized religion. There's no choice. Okay, the Lord Jesus doesn't give you a choice. If you are saying you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then it is in the succession of the doctrine of the apostles and those who have been confirmed as ministers in the, God, in the churches that are established by the apostles that you are indeed a member of the church. It is not something that you do on your own. You don't just in the corner there say that you are a Christian. You need to be in a group of people that confirm you, affirm you and hold you up and even support you in your profession of faith. The Bible does not know Lone Ranger Christians. We we spent some time a while ago looking at all the, the names that Christians are called We saw that they're called disciples, they're called saints, they're called followers of the way, and they're soon to be called Christians in chapter 13. All of that, all of those words are plural, not singular. Plural. You're a part of a group. You become part of a unit of people. And, And another thing, you are not the best arbiter of whether or not you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because when it comes to you, you are biased, aren't you? You're biased. Okay? We all think we're the best, aren't we? Our motives are always great, aren't they? It's always, I'm being misunderstood by the other people. Really, what I was saying is this, and you should have understood that. Well, see, when it comes to being referees of ourselves, 
I mean, we're, we're bought, man. It's, the game is rigged. Okay? You're not the best arbiter. You need the church. You need the support of the church. You need to be a part of, you need to be confirmed as a member of the covenant community. And so I say this to you if you're here or if you're watching online and you're not a part of any church. I would encourage you to seek meaningful membership in a gospel preaching church, whether this one or another one. But I encourage you to seek it, to be confirmed, to be strengthened. Because you see now, Peter, they see Peter comes there. Now he baptizes them in verse forty-eight, and then look at what happens at the end. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Why do they want him to remain? Well, we've seen this throughout. When they ask Peter to remain, it's because they want Peter to strengthen their faith. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Peter has the words that will build up Christians. Who's building you up? If you're busy, going to, you're busy watching this church's online stream and that church's online stream, you're watching this celebrity preacher and that celebrity preacher, you're all over the place. You are not known and loved and supported and built up by fellow Christians who know your life around you. You need that. We need that. The Lord designed the new covenant community to be exactly that, a community. This is why... Even when we have communion, I often say, if no one knows you to be a believer, if no congregation can vouch for your claim to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, perhaps you shouldn't partake. Because this is a covenant meal. It is someone who, who is known, at least even if, not formal membership, I know different churches have different practices, but some people, there's a church somewhere that knows that you are a believer, that can vouch for your, for your profession of faith. That is extremely Important Communion is a, is a meal that we have together as part of a body. Well, with all of that said, let me remind you what we've just seen. We've seen the Holy Spirit coming down on the Gentiles to confirm them as being a part of the new covenant. And now we see the church led by Peter baptizing them, confirming, giving them the external sign of the covenant. And from this point onwards... Gentiles are part of the group. This is when you were welcomed in. There were questions about you. Okay, there were lots of questions about you. But after this chapter, now you know you're in. This is the religion for you. Now, if you're here and you say, ah, this is a white man's religion. No, it isn't. This is not a white man's religion. It's a religion for you because Gentiles like you have been confirmed. It's for you. Salvation is for you, whatever you look like. Ah, no, for, it's, it's not for me, it's for old people. No, it's not for old people, it's for anyone who's breathing and understands that they are unclean and that God will judge them unless something is done. This is for you. This is a religion for all of us, whatever we look like, wherever we come from, however we cut the cake, however we, 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 we eat the meat, whether you eat tripe or not. Whether you laugh at me when I say Amasi is five star or not, it doesn't matter. This is a religion for all of us. Such that we can get this peace that Peter has been proclaiming. That God is making friendship with men all over the world. That is the point of Acts chapter 10. Let's pray together.
All praise be to you, O God, for how you do your works. No one can compare, no one can argue. You are the God, the excellent one, majestic one, who has drawn a people from all over for himself. From every tribe, tongue, language, you have people who proclaim your greatness. And what a wonderful day it will be when we're all together with all our saints and all our friends from history who love you and make much of Christ. What a wonderful day it will be when we sing your praises, Lord Jesus, on that wonderful day. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we now come to the table. Communion. And as I've said, this table is for those uh, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, who have come to grips with the reality that they, are, that they cannot save themselves. They need the peace that comes from the man that God has appointed, that man, Jesus Christ. So if it is not true of you, please, there's no shame. Do not worry about it. Just let the elements pass. Uh, feel free to interact with myself or Pastor Michael or or the stewards uh, about the gospel would be very happy to tell you more about this gospel. And for us saints, may this be a moment of remembrance of what was done for us. As we have this bread and, and eat this and, and drink this cup, we are remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ was pierced so that we can be clean. It is because of what happened when His body was pierced that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell us. The reason we have fellowship with God is because this happened. And that is why we remember it, dear saints. And do so joyfully, thinking perhaps this past of your sins this past week and, and repenting of anything before the Lord that you need to repent of and deal with. But do so joyfully that you have been made clean uh, because of what happened to the Lord Jesus. I'll give you a few moments to pray and, and, and consider the Lord, and then uh, I'll pray and set aside these elements uh, for sacred use.